0: different perspectives to bring you a variety of tips and tricks for feeling your best and living a full, healthy life. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Feel Better podcast, myself included. It's been a while. Um I'm excited to be recording again and today I've got a guest, Julia Carroll, and it's a little bit of a stray from my normal content because it's about parenting and kind of deciding how and when to have a baby on your own schedule, which I think is pretty cool because I kind of did that too. Dave and I decided to have Wyland well before we ever thought about Getting married or any of that stuff, so cheers to that um lots of things have been going on lately. We got a new dog her name is Roxy and she's super cute she's about a year and a half old, so still has like puppy energy but not like chewing up all of my shoes and not having to potty train her and stuff so that's been cool and Wyland's been having so much fun but what I've enjoyed the most is that she is a true walker. She loves taking walks. I'm used to a senior dog, poor Julio, R.I.P. Can't talk about it. I'll cry. But Roxy walks. We walk. We get like 2,000 steps in on our morning walk. And I'm like, this is amazing. It's so fun to be able to take her. But also being out there with today being the first day of spring, my allergies are like Oh my god. So if I sound even more nasal than usual, that's why it's rough, but I'll take it for all the pretty flowers on my hikes. It's just gorgeous and it smells so good. So, whatever. I'll live. Um but I am going to be trying to do this more regularly. I'm also looking if anybody is looking for some quick cash and you're like good at the Production part of podcasting, like really just kind of cutting it all together and editing probably take you 10 minutes if you know what you're doing. I would love to talk to somebody who wants to freelance and do that because I love the recording part and I just don't have the time or the energy for the editing piece, Um, but it would help me to be a lot more regular with this, which is what I want. So I've got some exciting guests lined up too. Next week, I'm actually, on Friday, actually, I'm recording with Someone who's actually become a really good friend of mine, Jen from Jen Lutricious. You've probably seen her on my stories. We're always getting our Erewhon smoothies together. And um, she has an insane story. Just, it's so good. She's so inspiring and she's so honest and raw, but she's also really fucking funny. So I think you'll enjoy hanging out with her as much as I do. Um, We'll talk about addiction and. Just kind of living life on your own terms, no matter how challenging it can get. She's got um, a lot. There's a lot we're going to discuss. We'll get into that. But anyway, today's Julia. Julia is cool because she's a rebel, like all of us. I'm always like, just do whatever you want to do. Like, don't worry or fall into those traps of like social norms. You don't have to follow the script. You don't have to do things the way your friends are doing them or your family. You got to get really, really honest and clear about what you want to do. Life is so, so short and you don't want to look back and have regrets because it just, you were worried about what people were going to say or what people might think. Cause at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. So anyway, um, Julia is building a family her way along the way. She's asking anyone and everyone about how they can how they came to make the decisions they did regarding family life. So Julia actually has a podcast as well. It's called the storked podcast and I'll link her info in the, the notes in the the podcast notes. Um, She's opening up, An honest, funny, raw, and earnest conversation looking at what creating a family really means and how it might show up differently than expected. Join Julia as she explores the concept of today's modern family on her podcast, Storked. Julia talks to everyday friends, family, neighbors, and experts sharing their own journey to define and create a family. When she's not hosting Storked, Julia runs a private investment firm which acquires, operates, and improves businesses at a crossroads. She loves supporting businesses to grow and evolve. If you ask Julia her role, she will say she is a mom creative leader, warm friend, animal lover, and champion of alternative families. So Julia is in the perfect place because we're all those things too. Um, Welcome, Julia. Let's get into it recording just because life got in the way and I was reading your bio and your profile and I thought this was such an exciting opportunity to like get back into it as a mom myself and someone who's kind of done things in my own way. I am really looking forward to hearing your story and sharing your experience and your knowledge with my listeners because I think so many of them are either just in kind of the stages of family planning or thinking I should be doing these things right now that like that should that you know sometimes falls in there and isn't necessarily always the right path for everyone and I just love the ability to kind of take a step back and like rebel against that traditional path and do things your own way so this is really cool I'm excited so welcome
1: oh I'm so honored to be here and I'm honored to be your first guest back from a hiatus I think one of the most important things we can do for ourselves is give ourselves breaks and really like lean into where we are at any given point. And so I appreciate that you did that. And that um, now we get to chat. So thank you. Um, As you mentioned, I'm Julia Carroll. I run the Storked podcast and the intention is to do exactly what you just identified, which is to get rid of the shoulds in our family building lives by providing examples of other people's family building experiences, their stories, their journeys, their heartfelt lived experience with their family lives um, so that we can have a broader definition of what it means to have a family and we can get rid of that white picket fence should and embrace you know, how messy and wonderful and beautiful choosing to have a family on your own terms is. Uh, whatever that means for you. So such a pleasure to be here with you.
0: I love it. I did things kind of not backwards, but I really just didn't care what the, you know, the path looked like for other people. I met my husband actually on Tinder, which is always a funny story. And we decided to have a baby. And then a couple of years later, we were like. "Eh, get married so it's like you know we just did things the way we wanted to do it and it it worked for us and I'm so glad that we did so I, I'm really I'm really happy that I've got you here to sh- share your experience and and kind of talk through that and what that can look like for other people did you growing up did you come from a big family did you have a lot of siblings what did family look like to you as a child yeah
1: such a good question and um and thank you for sharing your story I love when people do things quote unquote out of order because what's right for us isn't necessarily right for somebody else um there is no order to things right there's no right way to do something um so for me I am the eldest of three girls really close-knit family my parents have a traditional uh, family dynamic you know we look the way that families are quote unquote supposed to look. We look like the should. Um, They've been happily married my parents for some time now. I want to say like 47 years or 45 years, something like that. And um, uh, we were raised in a very traditional nuclear family with huge, broad, extended cousins and um, grandparents that were very involved. Where I saw examples of alternative families was in that uh, was in my cousins, was in my aunts and uncles, you know, who went through divorces and got remarried and blended families or adopted children or chose their own paths, whatever that looked like for them at the time. And so we had a very expansive definition of family in my extended family. It was a great model for me. Yeah.
0: Wow. 40 something years. Your parents have been happily married. The happily mm-hmm. born is what I'm like surprised about. that's a long time. Good for them. That's beautiful.
1: Well, you know, I think I don't want to talk about somebody else's marriage, but what I'm learning about relationships is that, um, happy isn't a state. It's not something where you're like, I've achieved it. I'm here. I'm happy. Everything's great. You know, it's something that you continually work on and work towards. So I imagine like any marriage, theirs has had their ups and downs, but for whatever reason they decided to stay together and to raise kids together. Um, but I'm finding as an adult in my forties, I just turned 40, uh, that happy relationships are really complicated and it's not so simple as like, Oh, you just find your person and that's it, you know?
0: Right. (laughs) Yes far from it. It's it's always a process. There's always shifts and ebbs and flows. And I agree with you. Happiness is not a destination, right? It's not something that you, somewhere you get to and then just kind of maintain. Um, So growing up as the oldest of three girls, did you have that maternal instinct? Did you feel like you were kind of the caretaker for your siblings?
1: Totally. I love my, my youngest sister is nine years younger than me. And so we've got, it was me and then a sister who's two years younger and then the baby who came far later. Um, and we did that really nasty thing that kids in the nineties did, which was, we said, well, you must be, a, you know, it must've been a mistake. We, you know, <laughs> they didn't want you. And we thought we were being so cruel and clever. And our parents sat us down and said, no, she was the most wanted. We had to try really, really hard for her. Like you know, you guys were the mistake she, we had to work on. Um, and so that was a good lesson too. In you know, what you think of as being teasing may not be fair, but also um, because she was nine years younger, she's the poor girl. She grew up with like four parents. She had right. her, her actual parents. She had me, she had my other sister and we, I definitely had that maternal like love for her and for we collected, I had cats and dogs and the neighbor had bunnies. Like we were just, I was just very into nurturing animals and nurturing my baby sister. It was very much a part of my upbringing for sure.
0: So did that flow into your more adult life where you kind of knew you always wanted to have kids and to be a mom?
1: Totally. I always wanted to be a mom. Um, I think you get caught up a little bit in oh gosh, and like the day-to-day stuff of who am I? What am I going to do when I graduate college? What's my career going to be? What's my life going to be? And um, and I was really hung up on, I've got to meet my person and I've got to meet the right person and it's got to be the right time. And so, you know, I wasn't one of those people who consciously chose career, said I'm just going to focus on my career till some point that I pick my head up and realize, oh my gosh, it's too late to have kids. And many of my friends have done that. It's a common trend for women in their their 20s, 30s, 40s, et cetera, our generation is to say, I wanna achieve this financial independence or I've got so much in me, so much intelligence, so much light, I need to go pursue whatever it is and then I'll do the kid thing. And that's, I think a trend that we talk about a lot in Storks that's happening. Um, It's driving infertility rates or the need to access either egg freezing or IVF treatments more frequently it wasn't my story. My story was, you know, dating awesome guys, and then they didn't work out. Um, In some cases, it was me who said, I'm not ready to settle down yet. In some cases, it was the person that I thought was my person and was not my person. And so mine was a path, which was like littered with a lot of heartbreak. And, you know, with each relationship, I thought, Oh, God, like now I can't have the family I thought I had to have, I, I wish there was a point at which I was like, I just wish I could like, find someone, have kids, get married, get to have kids and get divorced. Like, I don't even care about, you know, the longevity of this relationship. I just need somebody to have kids, which was a mistake. Um, And then I thought about going your path. Like if only I found somebody, it doesn't, the marriage part doesn't matter. The partner matters. And ultimately I determined that neither the marriage nor the partner mattered, the the kid mattered. And so, um, yeah, I think a lot of people come to the decision to either, go through fertility treatments or become a solo parent by choice, which is my decision after choosing career first. And while I did invest heavily in my career, and that may or may not have impacted my relationships, mine was mine was a messy dating story. You know, we could do chapters and verse on so like this guy did that and then I did this. And you know, it's mine was not an, an easy, straightforward dating history by any means.
0: So, how did you come to the decision? This is the culmination here. This is what I've been waiting to hear.
1: I know. I know. How did you
0: come to the decision, and I can't even imagine like what family and friends might have said. And obviously, you were like, well, "I don't really care what they say," which is awesome. But like, how did you come to the conclusion that this is something that you were going to make happen on your own?
1: Thank you. I um, I think it was that nagging little voice. You know, that like intuitive little voice that says this is so important to me. And I'm sure you had it in your journey, um, whether it was to switch careers and move across the country or, um, or have the family in the way that you did for me, that little voice was like, I just really wanted to be a mom. And it started with like a blase. Oh, I'll just do it on my own if these dating relationships don't work. And that was almost a joke. And the more I sat with it, the more I got comfortable with it. Um, And so I spent a lot of time in reflection. Uh, At the time, I was working with a life coach and we spent a lot of time talking about it. Um, I ended up opening my circle of trust, so to speak, to certain friends that I, I knew would stand by me no matter what. And they were really, really supportive. And I opened up a little bit more and told my parents that I was thinking about it. And they were nervous at first for me. I think every parent wants you to have the life they have, they wanted me to have a happy par- partnership, marriage, relationship, whatever it was. Um, but then eventually they they saw that it was going to end up being maybe an either or and really wanted the kid thing for me, too, because they knew it would make me happy. And so they were ultimately very supportive. Um, There was one or two people in my life who were taken aback by it. They'd say, you know, you don't need to do that. You've got so much time. Or why are you thinking about this? One friend in particular who really was like a naysayer to the dreams. And that taught me pretty quickly to be very guarded with who I communicate with. Um, In fact, I even had a doctor who was like, when when I went down the egg freezing journey, one of my relationships was really headed south. And I said, I think I need to freeze my eggs. The doctor looked at me and said, we, we really prefer you to do this naturally. Like as though, right. As though everyone has the choice to like get pregnant at home with a loving partner. And it, as though that's the natural preferred path. Um, I obviously did not go back to that doctor. So, you know, I, I really learned That with anything, whenever you're taking a little bit of a risk in your life, whenever you're doing something that feels a little bit scary, you start telling the people who you know are in your corner that love you no matter what. And then when you feel more secure in your decision, then you open it up. And then we feel even more secure in your decision. So it was a many-year process, journaling, meditation, coaching, telling certain friends, exploring it tentatively, talking to doctors, and then ultimately like any big thing you had to take the leap and I, I took the leap. Um, so glad I did. Yeah. Best thing I've ever done.
0: How long was the, what was the timeline from when you actually started thinking and talking about this as a reality to actually seeing it come to fruition?
1: i want going to say like four years, you know, um, it was in part that like nagging in the back of my head that maybe I'll do on my own. Um, really was, it came to a head when I had a breakup and it was the kind of breakup that brought me to my knees. And I thought, oh my God, I love this man so much. Why is it not working out? And then of course I came to realize I didn't really care about him so much. He wasn't my partner. He wasn't my person. We were not great together. And he gave me a big gift by ending the relationship. I wish he had given me that gift way earlier so that I maybe could have done things differently, but When I was going through like the depths of despair over that and really I'm embarrassed that a relationship brought me to my knees, you know, in that way, when there's so many bigger issues in life, like financial crises or health scares or whatever, or losing a family member. But for me, it was a relationship and um, it was that that said, okay, now I've got to think about it seriously. I started with freezing my eggs. Mm-hmm. as a backup plan and then increasingly over the course of that four-year period that backup plan became more and more of a primary plan right like this is this is plan a and I got more and more comfortable with it and the when I pulled the trigger it was when that you know that that knowing that sense of like when you think about it you feel that ah like yeah this is right in your gut that's when I pulled the trigger
0: it's almost like the thought of not doing it
1: is yeah. is
0: not something you're okay with I think any big life decisions I've made it's been about I'm not okay with not doing this like I can't I can't move forward not going through with this even though it feels a little scary and it's a big deal it got it gets to the point where you can't not totally that's awesome
1: yeah there's no other option you just have to, it's like, you're just every fiber of your being, every cell is compelled to go forward. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's one of those really scary things, like anything, even if you have certainty, even if you have that gut knowing there's moments when you go, Oh, I don't know if I can do this. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. Did I make the right choice? Yeah. I remember or what is like, happening? <laughs> pregnant or something and going, Oh, did I make the right choice? And like, well, yeah. I just spent all this time and money doing this. I definitely know I made the right choice, but I, I freaked out when I was pregnant. Oh my God, I didn't make the right choice. Um, So that's not to say that anyone who's struggling with big decisions should hear and say, I should wait to make my decision until I have certainty. But for me, I had certainty and then panicked.
0: Yeah. Which I think people do anytime they're pregnant anyway. So <laughs> it's always this moment of, oh my gosh, what is happening? <laughs>
1: yes. yes, Like, yeah. Cause you know, your life is changing in some yeah. major way. Good. In the same way that I, I would imagine moving across the country when you're like, you know, got all your bags packed in the back of the car and you're driving through Arkansas or something like, oh, what did I do? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yes, but then you look back and you're like, "That was the best decision I ever made," and I knew it in my gut. And I'm so glad that I pushed forward through that uncomfortableness. So, what was the journey like? I'm very curious to hear kind of how what the process was like. So, you you froze your eggs, and then what happens next? Like, how when you make this decision, and to anyone who's listening who is thinking about this, or maybe has frozen their eggs but then just did it like preemptively and doesn't really know what they're plan will look like going forward, what, what was the next step for you? How did you kind of, what was that process really?
1: Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, like anything, when you look back and when you talk about it, it's going to sound very linear because hindsight is everything, but at the time it was not linear, right? It was a lot of fits and starts and steps forward and steps back. Um, The egg freezing is the first thing I did. And I recommend it to anyone who can afford it um, because I think it buys you optionality. And so whenever I talk to young women or people in their thirties who are thinking about starting a family at any point, whether they want to Uh, focus on the career now or whether they're still looking for their partner or whether they're not even sure they want to have kids I think preserving the optionality it is such a gift that science has given us unfortunately it's extremely expensive and so if you don't have um, insurance or benefits that can cover it uh, I recognize that I come from a point of privilege to be able to recommend that Um, then I did nothing for a long time you know just I dated I and I I um there were three vectors. I think I had to think about and manage simultaneously my dating relationships, my relationship with myself and, uh, the, the like physical medical journey. So, um, the dating relationships, I had to get things out of my system. I had to date people and see like, is there anyone out here who could be my partner? And I actually found somebody who, who was like my perfect life partner, but he didn't want more kids. He was divorced, had two kids. So um, after dating all the people that I said to myself, if I have to date one more of these bozos, like this is, I'm not doing this ever again. Um, And I would rather be single for life than have these people in my my dating history. Um, Then I met this person who was really special and he didn't want more kids. So we had a lot of very difficult conversations around, Um, what to do. I decided to move forward. He said, great, I support you and uh, chose for a short period of time to stay in my life or a long period of time to stay in my life. Um, But we had two independent decisions, right? He had, I had to make my decision to go forward. He had to make his decision to stay in my life or not. Um, And like you said, with marriage, it's a lot of up and downs with that. Then on the personal get right with myself side, I had to sort of think, Do I have my finances right? Can I start squirreling away money? Do I feel like I can take a step back from the life that I've been living? You know, the single income, no kids lifestyle is travel and it's going out for drinks whenever somebody invites you and it's spontaneity and it's hanging out with your girlfriends whenever you want. Um, So I think when I knew that it was going to happen, I started doing all the fun things I really wanted to do within reason financially. Um, so that I just kind of got it out of my system. And I got to a point where I was like, if I go to one more bar, like, I can't, I can go to one more bar. I'm done. Yeah. Um, I don't want to have another cocktail. I don't, I don't care.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, uh, and, uh, and then medically it was the egg freezing when I was ready to actually pull the trigger. I found a fertility clinic. I got my levels tested, which is another expensive thing you have to do to understand, What's your ovarian reserve? How many eggs do you have left? Um, theoretically, you know, do you have time, or do you have to go like right now? Um, some of my friends have done the similar fertility testing, either with partners or without, and have discovered that they've got a lot of time, and they don't have to make any decisions right now. And some have d- discovered that, you know, no matter how early or late it is in the process, they don't have time. They might be early 20s, mid 20s, and not have time, or you may be closer to 40 and not have time. And so then you have um to figure out how to accelerate your journey. So um
0: if they yeah. say like go, you gotta go now, what does that mean? You have to find like a sperm donor, you have to fertilize that egg.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the next big decision, let's say you've like gotten right with yourself, you've gotten right with your relationships, you're ready to go, you've gotten your levels tested. Um the next question is, whose sperm are you going to use? And this is not an easy question. It's actually one of the hardest life decisions you'll make. Yeah. Um, there's two ways to go. There is a known donor, which is somebody in your life that you know of. Um, it can be a friend. Uh, I know people in relationships that have used somebody who's genetically related to their partner. So let's say you have a... Oh. Yeah, so like, let's say you're married to a woman and she has a brother. Maybe he's interested in being your sperm
0: donor.
1: Wow. Um, Or maybe your husband um, is infertile. Maybe there's a cousin or an uncle or a brother of his that might be willing to do it. So interesting. So interesting, right? Mm -hmm. And so the the benefit to a known donor is that you, whether you're in a couple or single. Um, you know, the genetics, you know, the medical history, you know, that they're not donating to a tremendous number of people because, you know, they're probably going to have their own kids and then whatever they do with you, um, they might choose to have a relationship with your kiddo over time, either as an uncle or as a distant friend or whatever. And I actually went through my friend list and sort of went through who might be a good known donor for me. Um, Settled on one whose medical history I thought was sound and um, who was a close enough friend that I knew he would be in my life forever, but not so close as to like totally ruin our friendship. Yeah. I had a very difficult conversation with him where I asked him, would you be my sperm donor?
0: Yeah. How do you, how do you have that conversation? How do you kind of like plan out that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good question. It was, it was hard. And he, um, he said, no, he said, no, he said, I do not. And his reason for saying no, and I, I don't want to share somebody else's story. But he just said, if there's a child in my life that is genetically mine, I want to be involved in their life. And you no, know, I don't have to be the dad, but I want to be involved in their life. But I don't want to do that without a partner. And he was single. And uh-huh. so the, and the other thing he said to me, and it made me cry. is He said, I, I appreciate that you asked, but I don't know that I feel good enough about myself to make other people. Oh, no. Oh, and you, I know. Here
0: you are saying, but I do. I, I see that in you and you are I my know. number one pick. Aww. And I
1: love you so much. And I wish you'd love yourself as much as I do. So yeah, that one still makes me cry actually. Um, but the reasons not to do a known sperm donor is um, there is legal. Our legal world has not caught up to our medical world and not caught up to the way in which our family lives are changing. So what I discovered is in Massachusetts, which is where I live, there's some case law, some precedence that if I were married and used a known donor, um, that if that donor ever said, I want custody of this child, they would not get it. Even if, you know, cause we had, we would have legal documents signed up and drawn up or whatever. However, as a single person, That case law did not exist. So there was a remote possibility that a a known donor, a good friend or a relative of somebody I know or whatever um, could say, wait a minute, I actually want to have custody of that kid and sue me for custody 10 years later. And that Massachusetts law did not protect me from that. And so I felt that it would not be safe for me to go down that path.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I'm so glad you did so much research and didn't just rush into this. That's yeah. so interesting. So with an unknown donor, yes. there isn't that option. So how so, does that process work?
1: Yes. And I want to be really clear about the positives and negatives of that. Um, so there's a couple places you can find s- sperm donors that are not like that you didn't know. Um, there are actually, believe it or not, like apps, like dating apps, like Tinder for sperm donation. No way. <laughs> uh-huh, and I did not do that. I felt like that was too risky. I chose to go with a sperm bank, I went with California Cryobank, and I went with them because their job is to vet sperm donors to make sure that they have as much medical history as they can gather on those donors, um, that that they're good humans, theoretically, and just to make sure that the sperm is collected in a medically safe way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I went with the professionals. I'm really glad I did. However, after doing the podcast and like diving really deep into the sperm donation world, there are some complexities. Um, One is that there's not enough regulation in the US around sperm donation. So you can have a hundred siblings for your child if, you know, and there's some people who are trying their best to change regulation, but right now, um, the sperm banks will tell you that they, they cap the number of families that they work with, but there's no cap to how many um, how many times a person can donate to other banks. So the same guy might be going to multiple banks. Your right. sperm bank might have a cap. The other sperm bank might have a cap, but collectively, you know, you've surpassed your limits. Yeah. Um, they can also sell that sperm internationally. So there, you run a very big risk of having a lot of biologically related siblings for your children that you didn't consider consider um
0: so do you look for someone who's like maybe like if you're in massachusetts somebody in california because the chances of your child coming in running into a sibling that they may or may not know is a sibling like is eliminated is that like part of the thought
1: process yeah um i went with california card because they were one of the most reputable and one of the largest yeah. But yeah, you do run, you do run the risk that your sibling, your kids are going to run to their siblings and not know they're their siblings. Yeah. And that risk is especially risky when they turn, you know, 18 or right. six, start dating. Right. And that's one of the things that advocates are most afraid of in the sperm donor community is that you don't you don't know, and that's really risky. The other thing you don't have access to is updated medical history because a sperm donor is giving their medical history and their family's lineage up until the point of donation. So they might be 18, 19, 22, 25, but what if they go on to develop a really um, scary and genetically linked cancer later on? Mm -hmm. Um, Most likely you imagine your husband um, or your best friend who comes down with cancer? The last thing they're going to do is say, "Oh, I'm going through this medical crisis. Why don't I call the sperm bank and let them know?"
0: Yeah.
1: So you don't have access to full information for your child on behalf of their medical history, and that's really scary and not something I understood before using a, note, a, a sperm bank um, donation. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so those are the the and then the other one is it's like the three the three big areas of concern are the number of children um, that a sperm donor can produce. Right. There medical history and um, whether or not your child can look them up and connect with them later on. And uh, some donors have remained anonymous. Some are not anonymous, but you they're not disclosed until your kid turns 18 and specifically requests information from the sperm bank. And whether the sperm bank has full information to provide is a question mark. So um, it to some extent, you know, you want to know about me and my story and how I came to make the choices I made, but you start pulling the thread and you unravel that this is a really complicated system of, uh, creating children. And it's on one hand, I'm like, so grateful that sperm donation exists because without it, I would never have the greatest joy of my life. And on the other hand, it's it's rife with complexity and it's emotionally raw and it's hard to navigate. And so, um, and there's no right answer, right? The two options I just gave you might, one might be right for me. One might be right for you. You know, there's, there's no right answer for this stuff. It's really confusing.
0: Do you look back and are you grateful that you went with an anonymous sperm donor rather than the friend that you had identified now that you like, I, now that I have a child, I feel like my thoughts around my child are different than they were before I had. a I didn't know how I would feel about this child. And now personally, I'm almost like, oh, I wouldn't want somebody else to have any type of ownership over my baby. You know, I think about that. Like if it was me going from what I know now versus what I knew before I was pregnant, are you Do you ever think about like, wow, that actually, I'm glad it worked out the way that it did. Obviously, because you have your child, of course, and he wouldn't be the child he is without, you know, the process you went through. But do you ever think back to that and think I'm glad somebody else isn't involved with this journey that I've created myself?
1: Yeah, the answer is fun. It's like, absolutely, yes. And it's a very selfish answer to say it that way. Um, What I mean by that is, I'm spiritual. I think you are probably as well based on what I've seen in your podcast and I believe that it all worked out as exactly as it was intended and I mean if you were to meet him he's like the best kid in the world and I some of that most of that is genetics like he just came out perfect. Um and he came out like he's funny and he's gorgeous and he's smart and he's just like my best friend. Um so thank God it wasn't anyone else because then I wouldn't have him. Yeah. But for me to say that is so selfish because there will be a point at which he says, why don't I have my medical history? Why don't I know my genetic, um, you know, the other 50% of my genetic makeup? Um, What if I wanted to meet my donor parent and, you know, he might feel some pain or stress around that. So it's really inherently selfish for me to say as a mom, like, I get this kid, this is amazing happy when, when he may not feel the same way in, in a number of years. And I have to make space for however he feels about his experiences. Yeah.
0: In any family, there's always going to be these complexities. You know, there's always going to be the dynamic of the relationship of all the people involved or no longer involved. So it's life. It you is know, life. can't focus on, you know, what ifs or potential challenges there's always going to be challenges and benefits and you know it's just the big picture um how old is he now
1: he is 19 months oh
0: and- he's a baby <laughs> oh <laughs> congratulations I was thinking he was like four or five for some reason I don't
1: know, he's still young and you know what it's you're right about the anything there's going to be challenges I'd be curious for you I think it's really hard to raise resilient kids when we were growing up it was like rub some dirt on it you're fine And, um, then the pendulum swung to like, let's really sit with the emotions of these kids. And I, I want to be the parent who allows them to have his full range of emotional experience. And also that like, he's somewhat unbothered by the ups and downs of life, you know, just is what it is. I don't know how to, I don't know how to create that. If you have any ideas. (laughs) It is interesting.
0: I, you know, I think I've really learned to let go of the control that i have in every other area of my life and i think just reading and doing research and looking at things in a different way than the way i was raised has been eye opening and i find it 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 works if i think about him as this small person with an undeveloped brain so when he's acting out in a way where i'm like oh my God, like I'm going to lose my shit. I need to walk away. I try to flip that and think like, this is a small person with no life experience who doesn't understand what is happening right now, doesn't know how to regulate his emotions, doesn't know what he's feeling. All he knows how to do is whatever he's doing right now at the moment. That's just the culmination of these emotions and these feelings that he just doesn't know what to do with. My job is to help him figure out what to do with that. Like, how do I create that space where he can just experience that emotion? It doesn't have to mean anything. There doesn't have to be an action or a follow up or a resolution. Sometimes it's just you're having a moment. I need to model that that's okay and not react to your moment, and then we just move on. You know, yeah. and I think that's what's worked for me because it's sometimes it can be challenging, but I just, I think the answer to that is that I try to remind myself that he doesn't know what I know. He doesn't have the experience to process this. So how do I just allow this to happen so we can get past it? Obviously in a way that he's not hurting himself or me or, you know, um, but that's kind of what I've, how I've led that process.
1: I love that. I'm going to keep that in mind really not easy. easy. No, it's never easy.
0: It is fun. It is fun. And I feel like so many, and I'm sure people have told you this many times, but there's just so many different stages and phases and everything is temporary. So whatever you're experiencing that day, a week later, maybe something of the past, everything is just so quickly moving and changing and temporary. And it's just enjoy the ride. (laughs) Yeah. He's at such a fun age, 19 months. That's just
1: like, oh, he's
0: going to be, is he walking? Yeah, he's
1: walking and he's talking and he's like developing a little sense of humor. And oh God, I love it. So much
0: fun. That's great. Um, So I guess for anyone who's kind of listening and thinking like, wow, this is something I've been thinking about. Here's someone who's done it successfully. How would you recommend they go about kind of planning their ideal family and, and really getting clear on their own values, what would be your recommendation? Because everyone's journey is different and situation is different. How would you suggest someone kind of structure that thought process and, and that planning?
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. And I think, I think the first thing is identifying the ways in which we are conditioned to think family has to look a certain way. Right. For me, I had to just let go of this family has to have a partner that you're married to, um, you know, and that or or it has to have two adults in it. Um, And that took a lot of work. That was what the journaling and the coaching and the reflection and all that like messy getting right with myself was about. Um, And to some extent, we have to decondition ourselves from the way we've been taught, the way we grew up. Um, And then the second thing you use the word values, it's all about values, you know, so uh, it is totally acceptable to sit with the knowing that you really want to have a kid and say, you know, I recognize that I've been conditioned to think that a partner is valuable and I still really want a partner. I still really want somebody who gets to experience the joys with me and that gets to help me in the tough moments and that we get to build a bond together through the parenting journey. And it's okay to want that. And it's also okay to say, you know what? I want the kid more than the partner and I'm I'm happy being a solo parent. And so, you know, I think ultimately you have to think about the trade-offs and I always like to close my eyes and say, if I, if I met my perfect person and I found my the love of my life, but I never got to have a kid or I get to have a kid, but never get to be with my partner, both are not ideal. I want, I want it all. And so do most of us. But if I had to choose one, which one, and there's so many trade-offs like that. If I had to choose, um, staying in an imperfect marriage or, um, going through a messy divorce and seeing my kids 50% of the time, which would I choose? And there's no right or wrong answer. If I had to choose, Um, staying with the person that I love who wants kids and I really don't want them or living the life I imagine without kids um, and leaving my partner, which would I choose? I mean, these are, when you're talking about your family life, these are the trade-offs and uh, they're not easy. Uh, They're really not easy. So um, getting clear about what the decision you're making is, you know, am I deciding... uh, Am I deciding, what am I deciding between? What are the trade-offs I, I have to think about? If you can put them in stark black and white, then you can get more clear on which one is what you want. And a lot of that is values-driven, knowing that for me, family comes first um, and that's my my single driving value, then that's important. If um, lifestyle came first and I said, I want to live a life that's full of adventure and travel, I might choose to, to stay single or I might choose to stay um, without kids and then go take that extra cash and invest in really exorbitant, wonderful trips around the world. Or um, I might say, I don't really want to be an aunt and I'm going to invest in my nephews, sorry. Um, So my niece and nephew. So those are the trade. It's thinking about your uh, trade-offs, thinking values and then really thinking about the way in which you've been conditioned. Am I, are my values my own intrinsically or have they been given to me by society?
0: Hmm, that is good. That is a good one. Yeah, I think that's so important is so many people don't stop to think about whether or not this is their belief or the belief that they've been given. That's such a good point. I love that. So what has been the most challenging, but also the most rewarding part of going through this journey? I say solo, but I, I believe you have a support network. You have friends, you have family. It isn't really solo in the fact that you're alone on an island, raising a baby, right? I mean, you've got a network.
1: Exactly right. And it's so important to have a network in whatever you do. Um, And that goes for people in relationships too. I think sometimes we think that when you're in a relationship and you have a new baby or you're going through a new life experience, maybe you've taken a new job or you're moving to a new place or whatever, um, we think, oh, you got each other. And so you don't need extra support from your community. But in fact, there's a lot of data that's come out of COVID that suggests that we Americans are more lonely now than ever before. I think the number of people who say that they don't have a close friend or confidant has grown from 3% in the 90s to like 12%. So imagine not having a single person in the world that you can turn to that's a friend or, or support person. Um, and the research is clear that that community is what keeps us healthy, what keeps us mentally sound, it keeps us like thriving. So whether you're a solo parent or um, you're in a partnership or whatever, you, you have to build your community. It's critical. Um, so that's the comment about community, 100%. I also think when, when you ask about the question, um, what's been the hardest part? I think the hardest part is that there are rough moments mm-hmm. there, in anything. Parenting is hard. Anything we do in life, um, and I'm trying to be really careful with my language because a lot of people will choose not to parent. And they're not less than, and their life experiences are not less hard. There are hard moments in life and, uh, you kind of have to work through them. Um, the same is very true in your first year of parenting. And I think it's easy to look at somebody and say, oh, well, you have a full-time job and you've got a smile on your face and, um, you seem to be great. So like, I'm going to give you the pat on your back and say, you're doing awesome. And how do you do it? And how do you have balance? Um, and there's a meme going around the internet right now that's like instead of telling women that they're super heroes for having kids and working full time why not give them a break and give them some support and i think just like let's be honest about the good and the bad and the hard stuff in any of this you know
0: yeah absolutely It's not easy. I mean, it's so true what they say about it being the hardest, but the most rewarding thing you can do. I would never change it, but I also don't know how I do it every day. (laughs) Every day is terrifying and also the most gratifying.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, just this week I was having this like, it hasn't happened to me in a while, but I was having this like heightened, intense anxiety that brought me to tears while I was writing a speech about balance and oh. I was giving a speech about like balance your family and your work life. And I'm going, this is so ironic. How is this happening? Um, the speech will be great and, and I'll be honest about the balance is hard. Um, but it was just that moment of like, actually I'm not okay right now. And I will be, but I have to figure out a way to talk about that honestly in a presentation.
0: <laughs> I mean know. That's perfect timing. It's that right. was a perfect kind of anecdote to your speech I'm sure you know to kind of work that in and this is the reality of it like you can be great and you can also be crying at the same time you know that is balance
1: so, totally and that's that's true of single parenting that's true of parenting that's true of infertility right you can be really happy and thriving in your marriage and your um, career and dying inside because your fertility journey is not going the way you want it to go it can be true of dating uh, you know it can yeah. be true of um, waiting to see if a baby's placed in your home for adoption. It can be true of navigating any of this family stuff can be true of going through a divorce. You can be co-parenting beautifully with your partner and still miss the hell out of them, um, or never want to see them again or whatever. Um, we talk about all that messy stuff on Storked quite a bit. Um, and I think the, the important part is not to see anyone else's life and say, Oh, they've got it. Like the white, the, what is it? The grass is always greener concept. It's, it's, it, there's no grass that's greener anywhere it's all hard especially the social media like,
0: yeah. oh yeah. so I love that you you were talking about community and it is so important and it's been interesting because when I I moved to LA from Philadelphia and I had one friend out here and I left all my friends family my co-workers and I was just like I'm out starting a new life like this is the next chapter and I didn't mind. I went to work and I had, you know, my work colleagues and that was the socialization that I needed. And then I went home and I lived my life and I hiked and I, I really relished that alone time. And I mm-hmm. didn't have a network of like good girlfriends or people I could go to or people I confided in. And I didn't really care. I was kind of like done with people because <laughs> my relationships on the East coast weren't the healthiest. So I didn't mind, but I noticed when I had my son, didn't really have so many people around me you know and I and I was okay with that before but since I've had him I've now created a group of these amazing women some who have kids most who don't but these are people that like I really value in my life that I didn't necessarily have in the same way before I had my son so it's interesting that you said that because it was almost like I I, I was craving those relationships and I needed that not support because I'm more like oh I got it I don't need anybody's help but like just knowing that people were there if I wanted to go to Pilates or get coffee or just send a couple voice messages back and forth or share a funny meme on Instagram or go to brunch like it's just I have such a more in-depth network of close relationships now. And that's only happened since I had my son. So it's interesting that you said that, how community is so important, whether you're, you know, doing it solo or you're doing it with a partner, just having that outlet of people in your life that you can turn to really does make a difference, which then makes me think what a great thing that you did creating this podcast, Storked, because you've shared your journey and brought women together who are also either thinking about it, in it, have done it, want to do it, don't want to do it. And you, so you've created that community, haven't you?
1: Yeah. And the community we've tried to create at Storked is not specifically focused on solo parenting. It's trying, it's a community of people who say, you know, whatever your family looks like is okay. It's like a safe place to turn to and say, guess what? I'm going to have a kid and I may or may not marry the person I'm having the kid with. Um, or if I do, it's gonna be way down the road. Um, or I'm not gonna have kids and I need a safe place to talk about that. Um, or, you know, I really hate dating after my divorce or, or whatever it is. Um, talk about grief and loss, losing children, losing partners, losing parents, and how that shapes our relationship to ourselves. So at the end of the day, ironically, the more we're in community with one another, the more we learn about ourselves. You know, so by listening to other people's stories and getting acclimated to how their experience is going, you learn a lot about do I want that life? How do I feel about that? Or how does that reflect on my own experience? I don't have the experience of moving across the country and rebuilding community. But when you talk about that, it's so relatable and I can learn a lot about myself and my needs and my where my heart is just by hearing your story. And that's the beauty of all podcasts, you know, is that you get to hear first person narratives that make you feel in connection and in community with others. Um it's really special. It's a, it, what makes the medium this tool so incredible, you know? It is so
0: true. I definitely come away from, you know, I'll take a walk and listen to a podcast and I always come away with such a different perspective on things or just clarity and new ideas and just an appreciation and more compassion I think for other people hearing their personal stories um where can everyone find the podcast I can't wait to go listen to some
1: more episodes yeah so it's storked and the um it's s-t-o-r-k apostrophe d um and it's wherever you listen to podcasts so definitely apple spotify all the good big platforms youtube etc we also have instagram storked underscore podcast Um, or on Facebook, there is a website. And when you're on the website, go ahead and sign up for the newsletter. Um, It's a place to talk about all family building experiences, pull in a lot of news articles and things that are very current and relatable, and then also to announce new episodes. So um, definitely more of like a blog style newsletter.
0: Very cool. I'll link all this in the show notes too. That's exciting. I'm so glad that you came on the podcast today and I, I love being able to share just kind of alternative lifestyles and like break away from the mold, start thinking about what you want in your life and then make it happen, you know, life is so, so short and it goes by so quickly and you should live it the way you want to live it. So thank you for doing that and for sharing your, your journey.
1: Well, thanks for listening and for having me on and you've built something really special here. So I'm really honored to be part of it.
0: Speaking of being a mom, being busy, not being a mom, being busy, working, being busy, living your life, being busy, there's always going to be things that you need to do that will interfere with creating healthy meals from scratch, right? I know for me, um, I always have the best intentions and I've got all these recipes and I am always ready to spend that time in the kitchen, but then other things come up that are a priority and it goes to the wayside. So if you've been following along, you probably know that I am a huge proponent of Sakara. I have been um, a customer of Sakara since I would say 2012 and have relied on their meals and their functional wellness items um, consistently since then. Since my days in Philly um, to when I moved to LA and even still. And I love also being able to pick up some of their stuff at Erewhon now. But um, if you are interested in trying Sakara. I highly recommend getting the metabolism powder and popping that baby in your coffee or your smoothie or your overnight oats. It's chocolatey. It's delicious. It's full of antioxidants and it really revs up your metabolism. And if you want to try it or any of their products, like the uh, meal plans, I like doing the three day meal plan. I feel like um, those three days really help me kind of stay in that healthy mindset that I want to be in without having to do the work. So I take those to the office with me. I like to use the breakfast for dessert because I'm not really like a sweets breakfast person or much of a breakfast person to begin with. I like to go right to the lunch stuff, but I love those, um, breakfasts for dessert or even like a midday snack around like five o'clock when I'm still at the office. So, um, get yours and use code XOHWK like Holistic with Kristen, X-O-H-W-K. And you'll get 20% off your first order. So highly recommend, busy or not, Sakara is going to be your best friend. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to rate and review, and also follow along on Instagram at holistic.w.kristin, and I will see you soon.